He had taken them as far as he could take them. He was the guy that in his youth, Moses sent him out and one other guy named Caleb to go spy out the land that had been promised to Israel about 500 years prior. And of the 12 spies that went out, only two came back giving a good report. He was one of them. He said, it's time to go. The Lord had promised us the land, and yes, there are enemies and there are obstacles, but God would not give us something that he could not deliver and give us the power to conquer. Let's go. He and Caleb gave the good report in his youth. He served faithfully under Moses the entire time that Israel wandered around in the desert for 40 years. We don't have any record of, of this man. His name was Joshua, ever complaining about anything, but rather just served faithfully. And of course, they got right up to the river Jordan, and it was time to cross over into the promised land. And God said, Moses, you are not going to be the guy to cross over. I want you to anoint and pray over Joshua, who has served you faithfully for these years in the desert, who came back with a good report. He's going to be the guy that's going to take my people into the land. And, and Joshua did. Of course, there's the battle of Jericho. They had difficulties conquering the land, which Joshua led his people through and overcame. And he spent the rest of his life going through the entire nation of Israel and dealing with the problems and the persecutions that were there and leading Israel well. But now he was an old man, over 100 years of age, and he had taken Israel as far as he could go. He was done. And he had this concern. And this was his concern. The people of Israel had been clearly led by Moses for many years, and now they had been led by Joshua for many more years. And while there was still leadership present in Israel, he was concerned about the future. He was concerned about the fidelity of his people. Because he knew from Israel's past that they were prone to wander. He also knew, having been leading them for many years in the desert, that they were prone to wander with temptations that they were living with day by day. And so Joshua took a moment at the end of his life, and he needed to communicate a couple of truths to his people so that he could go to his own death, so that he could go to his own reward, knowing that he had led them well right up until the end. This morning is a communion Sunday, and so we're going to, in a few moments, we're going to share communion together. We're taking a break this morning from uh, Minor Prophets, Major Message. We will pick that up again next week. And I just want to share with you some thoughts that I have from Scripture that I picked up in my own personal devotions. As you might be aware, pastors, you know, we study the Word of God. That's what we do for hours and hours a week to prepare a message. But that's not the same as actually doing our own devotions. It's kind of like you might prepare a meal for your family, but you also have to prepare a meal for yourself. And so on Communion Sundays, I like to share with you guys some things that I've been doing in my own personal times of reading. And I recently came across some things in the book of Joshua that I'd like to share with you. As Joshua was looking to continue to lead his people well, even as he was preparing for his own death. And so if you have, I know my name is Joshua and I'm not preparing to die. So we can just, we can just pop that bubble right there. So there's, there's no like crazy metaphor there or anything like that. So don't worry about anything like that. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, chapter 24, and we're going to take a quick look at what chapter 24 has to share with us as Joshua is preparing to transition his people into a new realm of leadership. I'd like to share with you the first three verses of Joshua chapter 24. So Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and summoned Israel's elders, leaders, judges, and officers, 
and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates River, led him throughout the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants. I want to share with you the thought that grabbed me as I was reading this passage earlier this month. And it was this. Joshua is about to embark on a review of Israel's history. And he's about to present the case saying, you should serve God faithfully for a number of reasons. And he lists them. The deliverance from Egypt and the deliverance through the desert and the deliverance as they conquered the land. But it began with the fact that about 500 years prior to this, the, the first Israelite, if you will, a guy named Abraham, lived somewhere beyond the river Euphrates and he worshipped other gods. And, you know, I probably read that passage a hundred times throughout my life and it never really resonated with me that Abraham worshipped false gods. That's how he started out in life. His dad's name was, Nah uh, was uh, Terah. His brother's name was Nahor. And as a family, they worshipped. They did not know God. They did not know Yahweh. And the text says that they lived in an area beyond the Euphrates. We know that Abraham came from an area near uh, modern-day Mosul in northern Iraq. Mosul is right across the river from the ancient city that we know of as Nineveh. This was the region that Abraham came from. And it was there, while Abraham was living in northern, modern-day Iraq, near Mosul, near the former city that we know of as Nineveh, where, that he was worshiping false gods. And he didn't know any better. He didn't know any different. And then the call of God came. And Abraham was obedient to that call, left everything, and went on a journey from which he never returned. And, of course, he became the progenitor of the nation of Israel. But that was the thought that caught me, and maybe you guys were aware of that, maybe you guys have thought about that. And we're going to go on and make a few other points this morning and applications, but it blew me away that that was where the nation of Israel started. That God literally reached down and called a guy who didn't know any better and called him to himself in obedience, Abraham followed. That without the call of God, Abraham and his ancestors would have still been living in Mosul, worshiping false gods. But that was God's grace in the life of Abraham to set apart a people for himself. And so in verses 4 through 13, Joshua recounts the history of Israel as they have their many difficulties that God delivered them from. And then he comes down to verse 14 in chapter 24, and he says this, after recounting their history, beginning with Abraham worshiping false gods in northern Iraq. Verse 14, Therefore, in light of your history, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and worship Yahweh. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. The gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. River Church is a one-spoon church, and by that I mean we have one spoon. It's about this long, it's silver, and it's shiny, and it's a very important part of our hospitality equipment. Now we have little plastic spoons running around, but we know that those are temporary, and we throw them away. 
But when it comes to spoons, River Church is a one-spoon church, and there's no mistaking the spoon. If you've seen the spoon, you know that that's the River Church spoon. It was out in the park last week. It got washed in my dishwasher this week and got brought back to church because anyone who works with hospitality at River Church knows you can't do church without the spoon. River Church is a one-spoon church. My grandmother, however, loved many spoons. Everywhere my grandmother traveled, she would collect a small, tiny, silver spoon. And she had a case that she would keep in her dining room wall where she would mount her little, tiny baby spoon from various parts of the country, from various countries that she traveled in. Her spoon collection was so big that it soon outgrew her spoon case. Mom, how many spoon cases did your grandma have? Yeah, and they each held about a dozen or more spoons, maybe 20. We're talking the better part of a hundred. My mom, my grandmother, loved many little spoons. River Church loves one big spoon, and you know it when you see it. My grandmother, however, was an idolater, and she loved many small silver spoons that she displayed prominently in her dining room. Israel had a hard time being a one-spoon church. They really did. They loved the gods of their ancestors because it struck them as being faithful to their ancestry. Remember that Abraham was called from Mosul. Abraham was called from Nineveh. Abraham was called from modern-day northern Iraq in the heartbeat of the Fertile Crescent, a beautiful part of the world. And he served false gods. And so Israelites thought that they were being faithful to their heritage if they also served the false gods of their forefathers. They also loved the gods of Egypt. Egypt was obviously a powerful country in which they were enslaved for 400 years. And so they picked up a few gods down there as well. And then they go into the promised land, and there's a whole new group of gods to choose from. Israel had a number of small gods that they loved to worship. Joshua, in this passage, is saying, we are one God people. We have one God, and that is who we serve. And you guys need to make a decision. Are you going to choose to serve the many small gods that you picked up from your past, that you picked up from other nations, that you're currently living in a, in a country surrounded by, or are you going to serve the one God that called Abraham and delivered you to your current situation? You guys have a choice to make. The concern that made Joshua call all of the leaders of Israel to have one final conversation with them before he went on to his retirement leading to his death of old age was this, be devoted. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Either be faithful to the many gods of your heritage or be faithful to the God who currently delivers you. But don't try to do both. This question came up last week as different people saw the zipline platform. Uh, the zipline was the most popular obstacle, if you will, for activity from last year, last week's Tough Buddy. Many of them rated very highly in the survey that I sent out, but not as highly as the zip line. People loved it. It was also the element that took a lot of time to develop and figure out how to do safely. How do you launch a child whose hands are at about 10 feet in the air down to the ground and land them safely without anybody getting hurt and do it hundreds if not thousands of times? 275 children ran through our course last week. All of them ran through multiple times, not including their parents. So there are at least 500 to 600 zip line deployments last 
Sunday afternoon. Not one child was hurt. I'm going to say something crazy, but let me tell you why not one child was hurt. We didn't put a railing on the platform. Now this came up. Why was there no railing on the platform? Why did we ask children to walk up a set of stairs nailed to a tree to a two-by-two platform where the platform is five feet off the ground? And there was nothing for them to hold on to because the one thing that was there for them to hold on to was the actual carriage for the zip line pulley. Why? It was the safest thing up there. If we had built a railing, children who were nervous or scared, children who were transitioning, children who weren't sure if they wanted to commit or not, children who weren't sure if they were devoted to this idea of a zip line or not, would walk up to that platform, grab the railing with one hand, the zip line carriage with the other, and we would have been picking them up off the forest floor all afternoon long. I've designed a few zip lines. I've worked on a few ropes courses. And as crazy as it sounds, the safest zip lines are the ones with no railing. The safest zip lines that cause the participants to focus on one thing and one thing only. Grab that trolley and hang on for dear life. Because that will assure you a safe landing in about eight seconds. And it worked. This is what Joshua is challenging the people of Israel. Be devoted. You have come to a launching off place where you are now in the process of taking over the land that God has promised to you. Do not look back. Don't reach for any props. Don't reach for any railings. Be devoted to God. Cling to God. Be faithful to God. Serve God. Pray to God. Make offerings to God. Worship God. Do not be distracted. Do not put one hand on the railing and one hand on the trolley. You're going to make a mess of the situation if you do. Put both hands on the trolley, trusting that God has provided for you. There's a reason that the railings don't work. There's a reason that worshiping false gods is just going to get you in more and more trouble and more and more pain. They're not safe. Place your faith in God. This is why Joshua called the people together. He needed them to make a decision. He needed them to be devoted. Because as one who had been devoted to Yahweh his whole life, he could say with firm and compelling conviction that faith in God delivered him from all harm and provided eternal security for him as well as he was looking to soon go to his death. And then finally this morning in verses 25 through 27 of chapter, four, of chapter 24, Joshua says this. <laughs> they have a little conversation in verses 16 through 22 and it goes like this. The people will say, oh, yes, we will serve the Lord faithfully. And Joshua says, y'all lying. And then, no, no, we're not lying. We really, we will really serve the Lord faithfully. He goes, no, you can't serve the Lord faithfully. And let me tell you what the problem is. You've still got idols amongst you. So you say you're going to serve the Lord faithfully, but you're still holding on to the railings. You're, you still have little gods that you've collected along your journeys. Put away those idols. Because let me tell you right now, you can't serve God because he's the kind of God that he's a two-fisted zipliner kind of guy. That's how you have to work with God. You don't get to hang on to a railing and put one hand on the zipline and have it work out well for you. I'm telling you right now, put away your idols and serve the Lord because he's jealous. He's not okay with you flirting around with other gods. Not at all. <laughs> and, they, and they keep saying, no, we will, we will. And Josh keeps saying, no, you won't. No, it's going to be terrible for you. And then finally, the people say, we'll put away our idols. 
We will worship the Lord. And then Joshua says this in verses 25 through 27. Verse 24, so the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord our God and obey him. Verse 25, on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statue and an ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He also took a large stone and set it up there under the oak next to the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, you see this stone? It'll be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words the Lord said to us, and it will be a witness against you, so that you will not deny your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. Joshua did two things. For those that were literate, he made a record. And the record is found in what we now know of as the book of Joshua. For those who were illiterate, he left a rock, a big one. He piled the rock up against a tree next to the sanctuary. And he said, he, he got anthropomorphic on them, right? He gave the rock ears. He said, hey, people, especially you who can't read books so much, this rock has heard everything we talked about today. And every time you see this rock, it's going to remind you of one thing, that you decided you're going to put both hands on the zip line, that you decided you're going to serve the Lord faithfully, that you're going to put away your idols. He gave them a record, and he gave them a rock as a means of accountability. You see, Joshua knew he could only take them so far, and he needed the Israelites to be devoted. And, and I've been thinking about this, and, and I've been praying about this, and, and the message is still true for us today, that God still desires the same things from his people, that he desires that our families would be devoted to serve the Lord. And we know from the biblical text that there are many important things that are byproducts of being devoted to the Lord that do not necessarily indicate devotion to the Lord. And let me just get very specific, just so that we're not under any confusion. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna put a, a metaphorical rock here with ears. We know that there are things that indicate that families are devoted to the Lord. Those things are regularly showing up in church to be with the people of God, serving the community, using our money wisely, giving some back to the work of the ministry, serving in the local church, we know that these things are indicators that a family is devoted to the Lord. And, and because they are the fruit of devotion, God delights in these things. But they're not substitutes for actual devotion. Because you can come to church, you can put money in the plate, you can use the big spoon and the hospitality team and serve the community well, and not have your heart devoted to the Lord. And so the call this morning, the call that grabbed me this, this past month as I was going through my own devotions, is, is that call that it's good to be engaged in the life of the church. It's, I, no one is more engaged in the life of the church than, than you guys and my family as well. And we know the joys that come with it. But to continually keep our hearts soft to the Lord. That even though maybe you too are responsible to preach and teach the word of God in some capacity, that you still open up the pages for yourself. And you just delight in it. That you know that it's your responsibility to lead your family in the evening prayers. Yet there's still a part of you that delights your own personal times of prayer. Some people really struggle with communicating their thoughts to the Lord. And so maybe just because you like to, you're the kind of person that keeps a little journal where you write some things down. The things that make you happy, the things that make you sad. That's your way with communicating with the Lord. Nobody's taking attendance of that. Nobody even knows that you do it. But those are the kinds of things that lead to true devotion that are the things that please our Heavenly Father, the things that show that we have both hands on the truck 
of the zip line, the things that show God that he has our full and undivided attention, that we're keeping our hearts soft towards the Lord. So yes, we should be in church regularly, and we should serve, and we should be wise with our finances, and we should lead our families well. But this is an exhortation from a guy who's been leading for a really long time. He's saying, I'm going to make a record and a rock to remind you of one thing, to be devoted, to be devoted to the Lord, and to have our families be devoted to the Lord. We're going to move into a time of communion. This morning, you might be visiting River Church, or, or maybe you haven't been here before, and uh, you, you're well aware that different churches observe communion in different ways. Uh, just to kind of take away any pressure from you at all, if you're curious how River Church conducts communion, the bottom line is, is we teach here that communion is, is a, something that the Lord has provided for his people. It's much bigger than River Church. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, even if it's your first time here at River Church, please feel welcome to take communion with us. We'll distribute the elements in just a few moments. If you do not wish to take communion this morning, then that's fine. Just let the elements pass you by. If you're not sure if you're a Christian, then what better time to pledge your life to the Lord and to be devoted to him than in the process of having a, a possibility of serving him by actually taking communion after making a prayer of faith. So if you're not sure about your salvation, ask the Lord to save you. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. And then have it be your first act as a new baby Christian, remembering communion with us. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to share these verses in a moment, Paul was teaching the church in Corinth that even as Joshua could only take his people so far, Jesus could only take his disciples so far. He actually said in the New Testament that it's better for you if I go away, because if I go, then I will send the presence of the Holy Spirit who, who will indwell my people. None of us would have ever asked Jesus to go away, and yet go away he did, so that the presence of the Holy Spirit could invade his church and fill his people. Because at the end of the day, Jesus could only take his disciples so far too. And to help them stay devoted, to help them be reminded of his teachings and the power of what it meant to be a man or a woman of faith, he left them a rock as well. And we call it communion. Remember, do this in remembrance of me. That every time you take this bread and drink this cup, that you remember the Lord's death until he comes. It's our rock. Now, we don't have a big rock next to a tree, next to a tabernacle this morning, but we do have communion. And so we're going to remember together. It is a sign of our devotion and fidelity to Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to see what you have done for us and to remember Father, we thank you for the provision that you have made for us this morning. There are many things that we are tempted to place our faith in. There are many ways that we are tempted to spend our time on. But Father, we are reminded again this morning the importance of being devoted to you, that we remember how you have provided for us, not just salvation, but also the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit and a church that we can call home. Thank you for these things. Thank you for this opportunity to remember you. I pray, Father, through this time of reflection that we would be quick to bring anything before you that is interfering with our fellowship with you, that we would repent of those things, and that we would be able to take communion together as a church. Heavenly Father, good works does not release the power of your Holy Spirit. Acts of righteousness does not release 
the power of your Holy Spirit. Our attendance here this morning does not release the power of your Holy Spirit. Whatever was or didn't placed in the offering plate this morning or online does not release the power of your Holy Spirit. Decisions of faith, prayers made in faith, actions made in faith, remembering you in faith. Father, there's no telling what you can do through a group of people as the power of your Holy Spirit begins to move through a people of faith. Thank you for this opportunity this morning, Father, to remember and to reflect and to express our devotion and our love and our faith in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.